Hello and welcome to Chanel. We are so glad that you're here with us. If you're joining us online, welcome. I'm excited about a new series that we're starting this morning called The Extra Mile. And what we're going to be doing is walking through elements of life where God calls us to go a little bit further than maybe we want to go at times. And before we do that, let's, we'll go to God in prayer, but we'll be in the book of Daniel if you want to turn there. Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you. God, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for the time that we've had to sing praises, God, to share in communion. God, as we enter into your word, God, uh, prepare our hearts to study it and prepare our hearts to be open to what you're saying through the scripture. And through Jesus that we pray, amen. Now, this past week, I saw a job posting uh, from a company in Pennsylvania. Let's go ahead and show that first slide. It is with the Hershey Company. Now, before you get too excited, let me tell you what this job entails. And they posted this job, I believe, on August 29th. We've got a little bit of the job description here. The font's going to be tiny, so I'm going to read it for you. It's going to be the title of Trained Tester. Before you get your phone out and apply, let's talk about it. The Trained Tester is a part-time position with the Hershey Company. Um, and it's going to be, you're going to be reporting to the manager, the sensory product quality descriptive analysis programs, and working at the Hershey's Company Technical Center. The part-time sensory panelist position would support daily tasting and pa- panel maintenance requirements. You've got my interest. I'm listening. Tell me more, Hershey's. The individual will uh, apply appropriate focus and concentration on tasting responsibilities. Friends, That's what I do all week long. This is, I mean, a job made for me. You're going to engage in discussion regarding sample descriptions and apply knowledge of GMP and food safety requirements. Now, the next one, I think we've got one more, yes. The support daily tasting requirements. Listen to this. After undergoing extensive training and practice, again, what I have been training for my entire life, the panelist work requires them to be able to taste and evaluate numerous samples for four-hour shift. For four hours, you're getting paid to just eat chocolate, to try their new products. I mean, this sounds incredible. Continuing, breaks are scheduled to minimize tasting fatigue I mean, that's what I call in between lunch and dinner, but uh, I guess there's a a legal sense to it. So breaks are scheduled to minimize tasting fatigue and for panelists to cleanse their palate. You don't want to try their new gum after you've just had their chocolate. I get it. Samples range from ingredients such as peanuts, cocoa powder, cocoa butter, etc. to finished products across candy, mint, gum, and snack food categories. For example, sensory panelists may be required to chew a piece of gum for 20 minutes to fully assess the flavor and texture of the piece over time. Additionally, uh, the Hershey brands represent a broad range of product types from chocolate, hard candy, gummy confections to one brand product bars and skinny popcorn. It's been great being your minister. I've enjoyed our time together, um, but it looks like the Kittingers are headed to Pennsylvania. Um, But all joking aside, I saw that post and I thought about how I would be in that role. Now, some of you are like, this is literally you exist daily. But in all seriousness, if you think about it, like you're eating a lot of chocolate. And I question if I could be disciplined in that role. If I were the part-time taste tester at the Hershey's company, I don't think that I could be disciplined enough to do a four-hour shift. I would say, what are the overtime opportunities that we have here at the Hershey's Corporation? And I found myself thinking a lot about a, a video that is, is probably one of the most well-known I Love Lucy clips ever. And do we have that ready, Stan? This is more of what I would be like at the Hershey's company. 
either. All right, girls. Now, this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped, you're fired. Yes, ma'am. Let her roll! <laughs> That video reminded me of, of what it would be like to work, for me at least, to work at the Hershey's Corporation. I don't know if I would have a lot of discipline. And the story that I want to introduce this morning is about food and discipline. And I thought those two examples fit well as a lead into this. As I mentioned a minute ago, that we're going to be in the book of Daniel, and that's where I invite you to join me right now. We'll start with Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, this is a Bible nerd's dream. The Babylonians kept excellent records. We know this is around 597 BCE. So we have an actual <clears throat> timestamp of this raid. But, uh, so we know when this is happening. And the Lord delivered Jacob, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure of the house of God. And the king ordered Asphanaz, chief of the court, his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect. Handsome. I always like those details. Really? Like, they needed to be handsome? Who's judging this? Anyway, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were entered into the king's service. Now, before we move on to the next passage, I want you to see what the Babylonians are doing here. They are building an empire by basically coming in, taking over the people, and indoctrinating them. This is something that like, we're not really familiar with, but what we see often in the Old Testament, especially how kingdoms move from one place to another. And the Babylonians come in and they say, we're going to teach you how to be Babylonian. I thought for all week about an example of this, and this is the worst example that I could come up with. It's, it's like, this is how I lead into this. But when I came to Chennault in 2014, I, I think mainly through basketball schedules. So 2014, 2015 is when we moved here. I could tell you the roster. I won't do that because none of you would like that. But my point is, if, when I came to Chennault, if I immediately said to the teens, we're all Kentucky fans now. This is what we're going to do. Some of you, boo, hiss, I know. But my point is that, like, it's this, you're bringing in your culture to the place that you're kind of taking over. And that's what the Babylonians were doing. They were saying, we are now taking over your people, your land, and you'll be like us. 
The outsider mentality doesn't work because we are in charge and we are in control. And you're seeing the way that they are navigating this by basically you're teaching them from day one how to be Babylonian. And one of the main ways that they taught them was kind of what you ate. Now, there's a lot of people that believe the food that they were serving, the, the, the men that we're going to look at in just a moment, was food that was sacrificed to idols. And so, like, you would sacrifice the, the meat, the wine, all that stuff to these idols, and then they would serve them to the men that they were indoctrinating them. And that helps when you think about you're indoctrinating somebody, you're removing their gods because you're saying, hey, by eating this meal, you're honoring our God. And so there's a lot of stuff happening there culturally that we have to understand when we talk about discipline. And we talk about what God is doing in the story and what we are supposed to learn from the story of Daniel. And so in verses 6 and 7, we meet our main characters. Among those who were chosen from Judah were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, my kids, if I were to ask them who were in the fiery furnace, they wouldn't tell you Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They would tell you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're funner names, let's just be honest. Those names have a better zip to them than the other ones. But Daniel, obviously his name has changed as well, but that doesn't stick with Daniel for, for I think, a, a very good reason that we'll look at in just a moment. But do you see, like, what the Babylonians are doing as well? Like, it's not just about saying we're in charge. Changing your identity, changing your name, like what you eat, the way that you think, the way that you talk, even the way, as you looked in the last passage, like what you read, what you consumed, every part of their existence was related to Babylonian culture. And it starts here in verse 6 where they change their names, like names that were given to them by their parents. When they were born, they thought, you, you're Daniel, you're Hananiah, you're Michelle, you're Azariah. Like they're stripping them of those even emotions to make them Babylonian. In verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in that way. See, Daniel is rejecting the culture. There's a really important element in the story of Daniel that we have to pick up on now. Because to, to live a better life, we have to live a different life. See, Daniel saw that out of the gate. To, to live the way that God wanted him to live, with purpose, with meaning, with substance, he had to live differently, even if that meant going the extra mile and doing things differently. He recognizes that I cannot do the things that the Babylonians are asking me to do if I want to honor God. In life. And again, a lot of people believe because of what they were doing with that food that Daniel said, I can't eat food that was given to another god. I cannot drink wine that was honored to the God of the Babylonians, but all. I can't do that. And so Daniel is willing to go the extra mile in his discipline. And you only do this if you are committed to God. And again, to live that better life that Daniel wanted to, he had to live a better life. And you see this like exchange between Daniel and the chief official. And they go back and forth, and he's basically like, look, I, I can't do this. Like, say you were to get weak. Say you were not to be able to be as strong as he wanted you to be. Like, my head would be on the table, man. I can't allow you to do that. But Daniel convinces him, right? He's disciplined. He's committed. He's willing to stick with God through even the most difficult circumstances. 
In verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. This is a nightmare for me. This is awful. What are you doing, Daniel? Like, we have we this really good food and you're rejecting it. You want vegetables and, and water. But do you see, like, how far Daniel is willing to go to be disciplined, to commit to God, to trust in God? A lot of times we look at the rules that we see in Scripture and we say, man, God, have fun. God doesn't want me to have a good life, a good marriage, a good existence. But the parameters that we see in Scripture are there to guide us and lead us and encourage us and to make us stronger people. To live a better life, we have to live lives that are different. And that's exactly what Daniel is doing here in this story. He's saying, I, I know a different way. I have a better life in front of me. I don't have to live by your rules and what you're offering me. Because God has given me a plan and a direction that's different. So in verse 13, he says, Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And, and we know the story, right? At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Again, we're sticking with vegetables, but that's his choice. He's disciplined. But I'm, hopefully I'm shedding light on how important it is to stay focused, to stay committed to the plan that God has for you. Malcolm Gladwell, one of my, my favorite writers, has this quote about the 10,000-hour rule. I don't know if you've heard it before, but he says the 10,000 hours rule says that if you look at any kind of cognitive complex field, from playing chess to being a neurosurgeon, we see this incredibly consistent pattern that you cannot be good at that unless you practice for 10,000 hours, which is roughly 10 years if you think about four hours a day. I thought about that quote a lot in the context of sermon on discipline. This doesn't happen for Daniel overnight. Daniel doesn't immediately one day become committed to God. It took time. It took patience. It took skill to say, God, I'm going to trust you. That even when I can't see the next step, God, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be disciplined. It's made me think of a GPS system, right? Where over time, if you're going the wrong direction, it says like recalculating. All the time in Little Rock, where I see that red line and I'm like, nope, I'm going a different direction. If there's traffic, I'm out of there. I'm cutting through. I don't care. All the time in life, it's re redirecting, <laughs> refocusing. Whitney and I, years ago, were in London. And when we got to London, it was the last leg of our trip. We had to go to this hotel. And we, we stopped at a metro station, at a train station. And the, the directions told us that the hotel was right outside of this metro station. And so it was like the walls of Jericho. We walked circles around this metro station, and we couldn't find this hotel. And we'd look at our phones, it would just say, redirecting, redirecting. And we were lost, right? And we were scared. And there was this moment where this, this cabbie pulled up to us. It was the middle of the night. And I was like, I'm not getting in your cab in the middle of the night. And he was like, can I just help you guys? Just for a moment, it's that moment of like, refiguring where we are, kind of refocusing us, repurposing us, redirecting us. And he's like, the hotel's right there. And we, we looked up and it was, it was literally right there. But if you had those moments, we were constantly lost. And you're looking for those moments of refocus 
and redirection. And God is trying to say, if you stick with me, if you live a disciplined life, you'll get to where you're going. It may look difficult. At times, it may be scary. At times, you may feel lost. But if you stay along with God, if you live a disciplined life, God will lead you to where you're going. And you see this, too, as as Daniel's life ends up. In Daniel chapter 6, another story that we're very familiar with, that we're taught as kids. It's fascinating that a lot of these stories are are stories that we tell in, in VBS or children's classes, but they're adult stories. I mean, if you're a kid, this is a terrifying story. As an adult, this is a terrifying story as well. But we're like, hey, Judah, listen to this one. But in Daniel chapter 6, we get to see Daniel's discipline is tested. And so what happens is it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. They were unable to do so. Think about the life that Daniel is living. He's living a life that is so disciplined, that is so structured, that is so committed to God that when his enemies came to him and they tried to attack him, they tried to put him in a position to corner him. They couldn't. They could find no corruption in him. Think about that life. Think about the life that you have to live, that when people come at you trying to find things that you're doing wrong, they could find no corruption in him. Because he was so trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Think about that. Daniel is so disciplined and committed to following God that the peers around him that want to set Daniel up know that the only way that we can do anything like that is if we challenge his beliefs. Because they don't believe that Daniel will stay committed. They do not believe that Daniel will stay disciplined enough to follow God's commands and to trust in him. And so they make this decree. And in verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Again, when times get tough, when you face challenges and circumstances that you don't know where God is leading you, we have to stay committed to God and live a disciplined life that says, God, I'm going to follow your teachings. God, I'm going to follow your instructions, even though there are challenges that are presented right in front of my face. Daniel could have easily shut the windows, right, and followed God in secret, but he doesn't. The text tells us that he opened his windows toward Jerusalem, It's not that kind of Sadducee-Pharisee mentality of wanting people to see it. It's this, I am not ashamed in what I believe. I am disciplined to know that God is calling me in this moment and using me right now to do something. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. And what happens, right? People who are against Daniel, they go and tell on him. They tell the king. And the king finds himself in this situation where I've issued this decree Whoever does this is going to have to go to the den of lions. So the king, in verse 16, gave the order 
And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. I thought a lot about this because it's, it's sometimes read sarcastically, but I don't know if it is. I don't think that, that King Darius wanted to do this. I think he trusted Daniel. I think he believed in Daniel. I think they had differences on, on what they believed spiritually, but I think he cared about him. And so when you read the story, I don't think that King Darius is like, all right, good luck. I think it's more of like, I hope that your God saves you. I hope that you're disciplined enough to know that God is leading you in this moment to protect you, to guide you. So the stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it in his own, with his own signet ring, <clears throat> with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might have changed. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. This is uncommon. You do not see this in the ancient world of a king running to a situation. They would have walked, they would have been presented, but you, that's how I know that this isn't sarcasm, that King Darius really cared about Daniel. He runs to it. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They may have, <clears throat> they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. I've ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. You only get into a lion's den if you trust God. And Daniel's trust was based on his discipline. He was willing to commit to God even when times were difficult. Even when the world around him tried to change who he was, his identity, what he ate, what he thought, what he read, Daniel stays disciplined. And so as Christians today, what do we take away from this story? I think there's a few things. The first thing that we have to do is, is reject apathy. We have to have these attitudes of people that are excited to follow God. I think it's easy to look at ourselves and look at our circumstances and situations and say, okay, God, I'm not as good as that person. God, I can't do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Comparison is the thief of joy. God is leading you in a moment, not leading other people for you to look at and be jealous of. God is leading you in a moment. Often what we do is we compare ourselves to other people around us. If it's our friends or colleagues, people that we go to school with, you fill in the blank of who you're being compared to. I do it all the time with churches. Or I look at what other churches are doing and I say, okay, that's what they're doing. Are they better than us? They're not. My grandmother had a phrase that I love and I cherish this day, and I've shared it with some, several of you, but it was, you is who you is. It's a good, strong Kentucky phrase. It's not uncommon, but it's, you is who you is. You have to realize that God has made you. God is using you. What your disciplined life looks like probably is different than mine. The structure and the guidance from God that you need is different than the structure and God that I need. But when I recognize that God is trying to do something in my life, God can use me. God can put me in situations like the lines in and protect me because I'm trusting in God, knowing that God is leading me. Next, we have to commit to God. Look at how Daniel lives his life. This is not a life that exists just simply by happenstance. He is committed to God. He has studied God's word. He's praying to God continually. He lives a life that when others look at it, they say, this man is committed to God. He is disciplined. We have to live those lives. And finally, we have to surround our people that will build us up versus break us down. One of the most overlooked elements of the story of Daniel is that he had three friends with him 
The way that Daniel, the story kind of reads the whole book is they kind of separate paths, but they don't. They started together. Daniel had a support system in his life that said, we are going to walk this journey with you. Yes, Daniel is the the voice in Daniel chapter 1, but Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, they are right there with him. They are also rejecting the food of the Babylonians. So often we get discouraged because we feel like I'm living this disciplined life alone, but you're not. Look at the people in this room, in your community, maybe in your life groups, in your friend groups. Those are people that are willing to walk alongside you and support you, encourage you, and guide you. And finally, I want to end with Hebrews chapter 12. Another reminder that we have a community of people that are with us to support us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for, out for us. See that language of there's people with you. You're not alone. You're not doing this by yourself. God has put people in your life to encourage you, to build you up, You just have to recognize that those people want to help you. One of the worst things that we do as people is reject help. We reject assistance because we think we've got to do it all on our own. We don't. God has created people in our lives. He's put you in relationships to encourage you and build you up. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scoring its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, we are to be encouraged that we have people in our lives that want to build us up. We have to stay committed to God and live a disciplined life that says we're going to embrace discipline and reject apathy. Because when we do that, when we live that disciplined life, God can use us. God can put us in positions of power and positions of of growth for other people. So when we live those lives, we can grow not just as individuals, but grow our communities as well. Let's stand and sing together.